us to be able to, they didn't, they weren't too happy about it, but we were glad to be able to go to that funeral. But that's all extra. Years ago, Paul Harvey wrote a bit about a farmer. I'll read it to you. You've probably read it and heard this before. Uh, on the eighth day, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a caretaker. So God made a farmer. God said I would need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town till midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. I need somebody with arms strong enough to rustle a calf, yet gentle enough to deliver his own grandchild, someone to call hogs, tame cantankerous machinery, come home hungry, have to wait lunch until his wife's done feeding, visiting ladies, then tell the ladies to be sure and come back real soon and mean it. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody willing to sit up all night with a newborn colt to watch it die, then dry his eyes and say, maybe next year. I need someone who can shape an axe handle from a persimmon sprout, shoe a horse with a hunk of car tire. We've done that before. Who can make a harness out of haywire, who planting time and harvest season will finish his 40-hour week by Tuesday noon and then put another 72 hours in. So God made a farmer. God said, I need someone strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle enough to tame lambs and wean pigs and tend the pink-combed pullets who will stop his mower for an hour to splint the broken leg of a meadowlark. It had to be someone who'd plow deep and straight, not cut corners, someone to seed, weed, feed, breed, and rake and disc and plow and plant and strain the milk and replenish the self-feeder and finish a hard week's work with a five-mile drive to church. Someone who would bail a family together with the soft, strong bonds of sharing, who would laugh and then sigh and then reply with smiling eyes when his son says that he wants to spend his life doing what dad does. So God made a farmer. Thank God for farmers. I'm glad that they were uh, immortalized in that little uh, article that he wrote. Uh, a bountiful harvest is the visible result of a farmer's earlier duties performed faithfully. A lot of behind-the-scenes work. As laborers for God, we too want to see an abundant harvest. We started, uh, the week before I left again, we started a uh, little series here on Sunday night uh, talking about metaphorical impacts, different metaphors the Bible uses to show us how we can have an impact on others. Tonight we look at the farmer, met metaphorically speaking, to see how this applies to us in our Christian life. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Read with me verse 6. The husbandman that laboreth, husbandman in the Bible simply is the word for farmer. Husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Father, I help, pray you'd help us tonight that be able to see some things here just from the examples uh, from farming and from the examples given in Scripture that'll help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Farming is hard, strenuous, often grueling work. It's not an occupation that is a choice for one who is expecting relaxation and recreation. I think that's uh, a given. There, I, I remember the story of my dad that, that my dad tells of him and his brother when they were just teenagers, and they were helping their dad work on the farm there, and, and a man came, they were still Amish, obviously, and a man came and, and uh, was talking to my grandfather and the boys were just kind of standing there waiting until they, they can continue their work. And uh, so he asked, he looks at my dad and my uncle Levi, his brother, and he looks at the boys and he says, so boys, what do you do for fun? And it thoroughly confused my dad and his brother. 
There was no fun. You worked until sundown. You were dead tired. You dropped in bed. You got up at five the next morning went to work again. That was life for them. They didn't have much recreation and much fun. It's the same way, really, for farming in God's harvest field. It's not simple. It's not easy. It is work, and it does take some dedication. But if we are faithful, and if we labor, the harvest will be glorious. God promises that. Goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again, bringing his sheaves with him. We're promised that. To see a good harvest, the farmer has to perform some significant tasks. The harvest is simply a visible result of preliminary steps. A lot of work goes in before we see the beautiful fields uh, stretching to the sky with uh, ready for the harvest. These steps that are taken are not as noticeable as the harvest, but without them, there would be no harvest. These are important principles I want to apply to the Christian life. So let's look at a few of them. Number one, the farmer prepares. He prepares. The farmer must first prepare the soil. In Luke chapter 13, verse 6, the Bible says this, And he spake also this parable, A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon, and he found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and found none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I dig about it and dung it. And if we it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. He wanted to give this fig tree one more opportunity to bear fruit, and so he promised to dig around it and dung it or fertilize it, break up the ground and uh, and try to give it, do a little more prep work to get see if he can't get some harvest off of this tree. Uh, the, often the reason there is no harvest in our lives is improper preparation, insufficient groundwork done beforehand, behind the scenes labor and planning. Preparation has to come before the harvest. The farmer prepares. First, uh, there's clearing. Uh, God likens himself to a farmer who carefully gathers the stones out of his vineyard before he plants. Have you seen the wonderful stones that South Dakota grows? Uh, we grow some great stones in this state, don't we? Uh, I often go by the fields and I see these big piles where they've been gathered, uh, uh, presumably from the field and brought to one place. But, but uh, I've talked to several people that talk about how they just kind of uh, rise up out of the ground over time. And uh, God likens himself to a farmer who does that. Isaiah 5, 2, And he fenced it, and gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vine, and built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a winepress therein, and he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth grapes. We have to prepare the soil of our hearts to receive the word of God by clearing out anything that hinders its work. There are some things in our life we've got to clear out. We've got to get rid of certain things. Even good, fertile, productive farmland has got to be kept clear of stumps and rocks and and uh, weeds and all those things. And our lives must be kept clear of the things that displease God and hinders His work in our lives. In 2 Kings chapter 18, the Bible talks about how Hezekiah became the king of Judah at 25 years of age. In verse 3 it says, And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Hezekiah wanted God to do a work in his nation and in the hearts of his people. 
So what did he do? The first thing he did was remove the places of idolatrous worship. Remember that? He cut down those high places. Uh, he cut down the groves. He removed the high places and broke up the idols. You know what's said about him in the Bible in chapter 18, verse 5? He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah or any before him, for he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. Hezekiah prepared his kingdom to follow the Lord by clearing out things that dis displeased the Lord. There are some things in our life we've got to cut out, got to get rid of. We've got to, keep, uh, to, to, to remove so that we are not distracted from doing the right thing. Clearing out our lives for God's service obviously includes removing sin. What we sometimes overlook, though, is the need to clear out things that are not inherently sinful. There are lots of things that we have to remove. They're not necessarily sin. They've just got the wrong position in our lives. Uh, anything that we put before God, whether it's good or bad, is an idol. And so we've got to examine ourselves uh, for that sometimes. Uh, they Things that have taken a wrong position. Hebrews 12.1 I always found this verse interesting. Let us then lay aside, run the race with patience, he talks about. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So as we run the race, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Now, I don't know if it's a big deal or not, but I always thought that was out of order. Now, it's not. Don't get me wrong, I'm not correcting the Bible. But... I would, you would think, get rid of the sin in your life and then remove the weights. A weight would be something that just hinders you, like video games. I've never played, actually I played Duck Hunt for a while in my life. Got seriously addicted to Duck Hunt for a few years. But uh, other than that, I've never played video games in my life. But uh, that can be a real, real, t and, and uh, you know, today I always think, you know, yeah, teenage boys, like, a lot of grown men spend hours and hours and hours and hours playing video games. Nothing wrong with it, by the way. Not, I mean, unless it's an evil video game, but nothing wrong inherently in itself. But it can be a weight. Would you agree? It can be something that can consume our time. Uh, golfing. I mean, that might be an all-out sin. I don't know. But if it, it's more like a weight. <laughs> it can be a sin. Uh, but golfing is not wrong. Nothing wrong with golfing. I enjoy golfing once or twice a year, but uh, can it become a weight? Absolutely. And so we've got to lay aside what distracts us from serving God wholeheartedly, clearing the field. We've got to clear those things out of our life. About three years ago, I, my absolute favorite thing to do in my life uh, is camping, recreationally, is camping. I love camping. And so I do it a lot through the summer with my motorcycle and like to go out, uh, take the kids sometimes and and uh, my wife likes camping, but she's a wimp, born in the city, so she has to have a camper. And uh, about three years ago, I finally bit the bullet, and I thought, well, we'll try out a little camper, and we bought it, and uh, we went, I don't know, just a couple of times. The problem is, we don't camp on weekends. What do you do when you don't camp on weekends? We go to church on weekends. So, I mean, is it wrong to go camping? No, but I think I'm not going to camp on Sunday because that's God's day. I won't be in God's house. Uh, and so we ended up finally selling it after a couple of years because we just didn't use it that much because the time that you go camping, we're busy serving the Lord. Now, nothing wrong with it. You get what I'm saying. There's nothing wrong with camping. Thank God. I love it. But 
if it would get between me and God, then it's a problem, and then it's a weight. So the Bible says, get rid of the sin. We all understand that. He says, get rid of the weights, the weights that lead to sin. That's an important thing. I think that maybe our struggle as Christians, and we're talking to the cream of the crop, Sunday night crowd here, all right, we're faithful, we're serving God, and we're serious, or we wouldn't be here, okay? I think maybe our problem sometimes isn't so much our sin as our weights, just things that drag us down, hold us back. And they're not evil. We'll tell ourselves, oh, there's nothing wrong with that. No, there's nothing wrong with it, but does it help us be our best for God or keep us from being our best for God? Hezekiah's cleansing of Judah illustrates something important that something, even harmless things, can lead to sin. I'll give you the background. You remember the story when God released snakes as a judgment and people were getting bit, the Israelites, and they were dying, and they cried out to Moses, and Moses, uh, he had him fashion a metal serpent. It was a picture of Jesus Christ risen, uh, raised up, and men looked on him to be healed, the snake to be healed. And it was a great miracle, and people were healed that looked on that snake. Well, uh, by the way, God told him to look and live. That's our, our, our song in our hymnal, Look and Live, is based on that story. Look and live. So years went by, and then Israel converted this brazen serpent into an idol and started worshiping it. Now that's, it was a good thing, saved their lives. It became a bad thing when they put it in the wrong place. So good things can become bad things when you put them in the wrong place in your life. That was an, uh, an obvious example. And so he broke down the images, the Bible says, chapter 18, verse 4 of Second Kings. He break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. So this serpent, you know, you talk about statues and something to, to hold on to in a great memorial, that would be one of them. But he tore it up. He broke it into pieces. You're not going to worship this thing. It's a good thing he did. And that's our problem because we also have idols in our life. Good things given the wrong position. Things that aren't wrong, but they're given the wrong position in our life. If sports is so big in your life, nothing wrong with sports, but if sports is so big in your life that it gets between you and God, it's an idol. And you could put anything in, in that. I was going to use shopping, but that's a sin. That's not a weight, so I don't want to even talk about shopping. But, uh, and we can even go further. If your family is put before God, it can be an idol. We, we should not let anything go. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy spirit, all thy strength. We're to love to God supremely. All it takes is just putting good things in our life in the wrong position. That's what the Bible talks about weights. So one of the things a farmer does to, to get the field ready is he clears it. And we need to do that with our life. We need to clear out the bad things, the wrong things, and the weights as well. You want an abundant harvest in your life? Clear the ground. Secondly, plowing. After clearing, the farmer must plow. In 1837, John Deere was a blacksmith, and he was making hay forks and other implements. He made horseshoes and, and some other farm essentials that uh, they needed at the time. And one day, broken uh, sawmill blade turned the light bulb, candle, 1837, candle, turned the candle on over his head. And he had an idea. He knew plowing was very difficult, for farmers because they had to stop their work and, and the dirt would get all, uh, would cling to if they had cast iron, certainly with wood if they went that, that bad. But uh, they had a real hard time. But he knew that the soil would slide over the steel. And his invention became a great asset to the Midwest. 
In fact, there were people at that time that called the Midwest the Great Desert. And he, he turned it into a bread basket for the country with his invention of the plow. It was only when the soil was broken up that we saw vast fields of wheat, barley, and corn. Because the sun-baked hard earth will not absorb moisture. Even melting snow runs off and doesn't soak in. So plowing and working up the ground and disking allows the water to sink deeply into the soil. It provides moisture for the growth of the crop. And our hearts need to be plowed as well. Jeremiah 4.3 For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. That's what needs to happen in our life sometimes. Break up that fallow ground. Hosea 10.12 Break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord. God's word can break up the hard ground of our hearts. Amen? Can do that. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and is to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's what. That's why we go to church on a regular basis. That's why we have revival meetings once a year. That's why we go to these things so that we can, uh, the soil of our heart needs to be broken up or God cannot work. That's why we have to be in God's word and in God's house. Secondly, not only does the farmer prepare, but the farmer plants. To have good crops, the farmer needs to have good seed. I've used this illustration before, but I love this story about that uh, city slicker that tired of the rat race in the city, and he decided to move to the country and become a chicken farmer. So he goes to the local feed and livestock store, tells the proprietor he's going to take up chicken farming. He buys a hundred little chicks. That's a lot of chicks, he said, just to get started. Uh, I'm serious about what I'm doing, he said. So he took the hundred chicks home. About two weeks later, this yuppie came back into the store again, asked for another hundred chicks. He says, how are things going? The proprietor asked him. He says, not too well. He says, they all died. So he took his second hundred chicks, took them home. About two weeks went by. He stopped in again. And the farmer, the, uh, impl- the, the, the uh, proprietor again, what's going on when he ordered again another hundred chicks? And the farmer, this guy from the city says, you're not going to believe this, but I'm going to need another hundred chicks. He says, what is going wrong? Why are they all dying? And the guy said, I'm not sure what's happening. Either I'm planting them too deep or too close together. I'm not sure what's happening. Come on now. That was good. Give me some credit. A great deal of study, work, and care goes into the process of developing seed for thriving crops. And we've been given the perfect, incorruptible seed of the Word of God. 1 Peter 1.23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And so we need to be planting that seed. Simply having the seed isn't enough. The seed has to be planted. Amen? In Haggai 2.19, the Lord asks the question, is the seed yet in the barn? Not going to do any good in the barn. Got to go out and plant it. Your crops aren't going to grow if the seed stays in the barn. And so God asks His people, why have you neglected to plant the seed of God's Word? The parable of the sower in Luke 8 begins with the words, a sower went out to sow his seed. That's what sowers do. That's what we need to do. The seed was this man's purpose. It was his job. He was not supposed to guard the seed in the barn. 
He was not supposed to stockpile the seed and see how much he could accumulate. He was not to analyze and criticize other people's seed. He was not supposed to just admire his own. Keeping it in the barn is useless. The sower is supposed to get the seed into the ground where it can grow. That's an obvious thing for us to see. As God's people, we have been given a responsibility to plant the seed of the Word of God. Unfortunately, some Christians get so caught up in inspecting the seed that they never plant any. I call this eggheads. I don't know if it's a real term or not, but guys who are all who are too, so uh, theologically advanced and get into the and, and I'm, not, I'm not knocking studying the Bible at all. Understand, but I always say we we study the Bible for application, not knowledge. Want to apply it? That's what I believe for the, the Bible's for. But uh, I, I once was uh, went to a. One night, I attended a Bible institute in Brighton, Michigan. It was kind of on my way home from work, and I thought I'd just stop in. And it was a church of a friend of mine, and I thought I'd stop in and see what was going on there. And, and uh, they were having a Bible institute class, and so I sat in one night. And most of the hour, they were discussing these questions. They first asked, does Jesus' blood save us? As the Bible says, by his blood. It washed white as snow. Yes, we're saved by Jesus' blood. Well, could he have bled and not died? <sighs> well, then it is his death that saves us. Could he have died and not bled? My Bible says, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. This hypothetical Egghead talk, I have absolutely no use for. It drives me crazy. Maybe I'm just not smart enough. I don't know. But they'll spend hours talking about garbage like that. Just hypothetical things. Could this have happened? Could that have happened? And I just don't think there's any use in it because what's happening is no seed is being spread. We're examining the seed. We're talking about it and digging into it. We're not actually planting any. This is, there is currently, uh, it's the circles I carry, I'm sure. A lot of preachers on uh, Facebook. I'm still old enough to have a Facebook, but uh, there's a tremendous King James Version debate on social media today, and I, I can't. I don't ever log on hardly that I don't see somebody fighting about it, and somebody puts something on, and somebody else is going back and forth about the King James Version. And I'm going to say I'm a King James Version man. That's the only Bible I use. It's the only Bible we use in our church. I think it is. I think it's the superior translation. If you carry another, that's fine. But that, that's what I, that's my choice. But why spend our life fighting about it? Why, why spend all our time arguing about something like that? You know what happens when we spend our life fighting about it? We're not planting it. We're not getting the seed out. And I, do I believe it's important to hold the line? Absolutely. But I'm just saying, let's sow the seed. Let's get it out there. We're not to plant only when the circumstances are right. Ecclesiastes 11.4, He that observeth the wind shall not sow. That's another problem we do. We, we want to make everything has to be just so before we'll sow the seed, and we just need to be about doing it. Not only are we to plant when we're certain of the outcome, uh, or we're not only to plant when we're certain of the outcome, we don't, we're just to plant. We're just to sow that seed and let God deal with it. I like what uh, General Stonewall Jackson said this, duty is ours, the consequences are God's. You just get the seed out and let God deal with the consequences. Be faithful in sowing. We read these verses tonight in discipleship. The Apostle Paul, you know how he saw himself? 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I have planted and Apollos has watered. Remember he asked the question, who is Paul? Who's Apollos? I plant, 
He waters, God gave the increase. Notice in that verse, who controlled the harvest? God gave the increase. I just planted. Somebody else came along and watered. That's what church, we were talking tonight about uh, the discipleship lesson, other Christians. That's what church work is all about. One person waters, one person plants, another person invests. We teach here, we help each other, we help each other to grow and uh, just get the seed out. I can't change a heart, but I can plant. I cannot read minds, but I can plant. I cannot make someone else grow. I wish I could, but I can't, but I can plant. I can't make someone listen, but I can plant. And I invite, uh, when I invite people to our church, I always invite them to the best church in Brookings. I make no bones about it. I think we're, we're the best church in Brookings, and it's because you're here. That's why I think it's the best church in Brookings. It's not pretentious, in my opinion. Uh, but share your testimony, what God's done in your life. Uh, invite them out to church. They may respond. They may not. But here's a statistic for you, okay? This is a, I know they say that 42.5% of statistics are made up, but here's a statistic that's true. 100% of those you don't tell will not respond. 100% of those you do not tell, you won't make any headway with them. So, sow the seed. Secondly, pruning the crops. A farmer cannot just walk away from a newly planted seed and just leave it. He's got to continue to care for it. He has to uh, take care of weeds, fertilizing. Uh, he, uh, and, and that happens in our life as well. Weeds can sprout in our lives. Thoughts, attitudes, actions, habits... They can strangle our Christian growth, just like weeds strangle plants. Uh, do, are you don't know if you're aware, but up north of Brookings here, you can buy for $25 a year, you can buy a little garden plot. And uh, I did that like the second year I was here. And, uh, and I worked on a, I went over on a Saturday. I mean, I worked the ground up, I planted, I got it all down. And then life happened. I had camp like the week after, and a couple, like two or three weeks I was busy. And I finally drove back up there, and it was just a humongous weed patch. I had just, everything was choked to death, and I just, eh, forget it, I'll go to the grocery store. But uh, that's what weeds will do. They'll choke out the plants, and, and that can happen in our life too. We allow these things in, it can choke out our Christian growth. Jesus warned about this in Matthew thirteen seven, and some fell among thorns, and thorns sprung up and choked them. When I was... Growing up, we had 25 or so apple trees in a little orchard there. And my dad was, he always, he's always been a green thumb, and he was big on trimming these apple trees. And so I shouldn't say he was big on trimming them. He was big on making me trim them. And so uh, he, would, he would stand there. He can't raise his arms, as you know, so he'd have a stick. And he would have the stick here against his waist, and he'd hold it, and he would point at branches I would need to uh, trim as I was up in the tree there. So... Uh, but I learned kind of how you trim these trees. Any branch that's pointing in, you want to you want it to shape out a certain way. And and I remember as we trimmed, I always, hey, sure this isn't too much. Seems like we're killing it because I mean we would just chop and chop and chop and chop. And sure enough, the next year it would just thrive because we had to trim what shouldn't be there, prune what is going to hurt rather than help the plant as a whole. He had a shape in his mind. He had a form that he wanted the tree to grow into, and we trimmed anything that went astray from the goal he had for the tree. That's what we need to do in our life. Here, here's, here's our problem as Christians and as people that want to grow. We, we, we have our goals, 
point this way. That's our goals. We have upward goals. And we want to grow. We want to, we want to be better. I mean, don't you? We, we, I think it's a common goal for all of us. I want to be a better person. I want to care more, love more, affect more, impact more. So we have goals that point this way. But we have habits that point this way. And so we have that. And, and we're going to go the way of our habits, not the way of our goals. So we have to, uh, there's some things we've got to prune out and some things we've got to change that's going to choke our growth. If we're going to go this way, then we've got to stop acting this way. And so this is what I believe that's talking about, pruning those things. John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is a husband, and every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. So uh, we are, our goal is to bear fruit. And so we cut away whatever is in our life that's not doing that. Again, we're talking about impacting here. And whatever in our life is getting in the way from us impact, raising our children right, uh, treating our families, our spouses right, doing the, just doing right at work, all the things that God wants us to do, whatever stops that, we need to prune it out. Pruning is essential for a good harvest. All right, we got to rush here. A good farmer prepares, he plants, and then thirdly, he possesses. The fall of the year brings a lot of things to mind, we, uh, the colors of the leaves change and cornucopias filled with fruits and vegetables and all those little pictures we have, the Thanksgiving holiday and the harvest and all that. Harvest time is the farmer's reward for months of preparing and planting and pruning. It is inconceivable that after all this work, he would just stop short of the harvest. I mean, all the prep work and the planting and the, and the work that's went in, that when it actually came time to harvest, he just kind of you know, let the deer have it. Uh, as Christians, we've got to gather the harvest. Uh, the time for the harvest is now. If you want to go with me, John chapter 4, I'll read you a couple of verses here. John chapter 4, uh, God's word tells us that the, the harvest, the fields of the world are ripe unto harvest. Look at John 4, verse 35. Jesus says, Say not ye, there are yet four months and then cometh the harvest. And physically, that was the case. They were yet months away from the harvest that they saw in the fields. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he was obviously talking about a greater harvest than wheat there, talking about people. And uh, so the disciples are looking at the physical fields surrounding them. They, they know it's not harvest time yet, but Jesus is telling them to look on the fields of God. They're ripe to harvest. We need workers to go out and harvest. Farmers clearly understand the urgency of the harvest. They work night and day to bring the crops in at the proper time. Last year, I think it was last fall, um, it was something I had, I can't remember if it was a flight I had to drop somebody off for, but for some reason I was coming back from Sioux Falls or uh, going to Sioux Falls like 2, 2.30 in the morning, 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. I think I was taking somebody to the airport. And... Uh, yeah, I think it was Brother Rocky. It might have been Brother... Anyway, it's taking someone to the airport real, real early. And there's a combine out there working. Probably had been working all night because they know that the work needs to be done. God give us a sense of urgency for the harvest that we need to be a part of in souls. The time of the harvest not only is now, it also brings rejoicing. It brings a satisfying feeling of accomplishment. Proverbs 13, 19, The desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. 
in God's divine order, work always precedes rejoicing. I understand that's not how welfare works, but God's order works that way. Work, then rejoicing. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Galatians 6, 9, And be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you shall faint not. Faithfully sow, and you'll experience the joy of reaping. It is God who gives the increase. But you really want to impact people, and we do. We need to be sowing. However that looks. Give, sharing the Bible with somebody, texting Bible verses to people, giving gospel tracts out, talking to people about their eternal soul, sowing the seed, getting the Word of God out. And it's a privilege that we have to be the ones to give the gospel to folks. So as farmers in God's harvest, we need to be willing to prepare the ground, we need to be obedient to plant the seed, and we need to be diligent to possess the harvest. And uh, that's our metaphorical picture of impact tonight, like a farmer. We clear the, we clear it, clear ourselves of all the things that are harmful, prune ourselves from all the things that are not helpful, and we get serious about the harvest. Who are you reaching? I hope you're reaching someone. I hope even as we talk tonight, you're thinking of someone, you know, that you're working with. Maybe you're praying for, you're trying to, uh, I want to bring this person into the fold. I want to affect them for Christ. Never happen if we don't sow the seed. Father, we thank you for the challenge from your word. I pray you'd help us as we go throughout this week. Help us to constantly be faithful in our sowing of the seed and trying to impact others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We always want to be faithful stewards of what you've given us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.